0: I don't think people do what they love. I think they learn or inspired to love what they do. People have always told me, you're so lucky. You've always loved what you did. And if you look back, do you think I really love selling legal research online? That was my dream when I was five years old. That's that's what I love to do. No, I learned to be inspired. I learned to take my possibility and make it a probability. So you gotta know your what, you gotta know your why, make those possibilities your probabilities, and then every single speech I take is the most important part that nobody talks about, especially when you get to this woo-woo stuff, this spiritual stuff. I'll tell you what's the most important thing is how. How are you gonna do it? Most people think that happiness is enough regardless of how much money they have, what relationships they have, what they've achieved. They think that happiness is enough even over their health. And so I started raising the stakes to be happy. And I believed that my happiness would be achieved by a consistent, every day, persistent, without quit, pursuit of my potential people don't realize is that when we let our ego get in our way ego is the loss the fear of loss so need to be right the need to be offended the need to be hurt fearful when when that trajectory changes what happens is you continually go the wrong way so my job as a coach is to say let's get into the enjoyment of the direct pursuit of my potential Right? And so when the light went on, it was not about the potential of making money and being an entrepreneur, which is one of my specialties. And I said to him, look, this is an opportunity now to show how great you really are. We can't let the outside voices right, determine our success. The happiness that we have comes within, why are you gonna give that control to somebody else? And I came up with four really valuable things that I took stock in. And the first one was gratitude simple gratitude although i grew up with nothing i was always grateful throughout the whole process of consistently persistently pursuing my potential i was grateful it made my past better my present brighter and my future even brighter than that in fact i tell people all the time if you want to change your life change your employee's life your family life it's very simple two words say thank you Say thank you before you go to bed, and say thank you when you wake up. And I guarantee you, if you can do that for 30 straight days, your life will change. You are now listening to Discover Your Potential with radio talk show host Dan Gilman, Cindy Gilman's son. So listen, participate, be inspired, know that you can discover your potential. Here is
1: Dan Gilman. Hi and welcome to Discover Your Potential. I have an extraordinary guest for you today. Uh, he is David Meltzer. He is the co-founder of Sports One Marketing and formerly served as CEO of the renowned Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Agency, which was the inspiration for the movie Jerry Maguire. David has been recognized by a Variety magazine as their Sports Humanitarian of the Year and awarded the Ellis Island Medal of Honor. He is also the executive producer of the Bloomberg and Amazon Prime television series, Two Minute Drill, and Office Hours. His life mission is to empower over 1 billion, that's 1 billion people, to be happy. This simple yet powerful mission has led him to an incredible journey to provide one thing, value. In all his content and communication, that's exactly what you'll receive. As part of that mission for the past 20 years, he's been providing free weekly trainings that empower others to be happy. And I want to welcome David Meltzer. Hi, David. Welcome to Discover Your Potential. My mother called her show over 30 years ago, Discover Your Potential. Your mission of touching billions of people's lives resonate with me specifically, i followed you for so long, and it's an honor and privilege to have you on. What was my mother's show? Thank you so much for having me here, and
0: anyone that helps me with my mission of empowering over a billion people to be happy is uh, family to me, and I'm happy to be here to help others understand what potential is and
1: how to discover it. That's great. It's an honor. First, I, I did want to mention uh, before we go into our conversation that Uh, to our audience that you have a free business training every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time, 12 and 2 p.m. Eastern standard time. Can you tell us a little bit about the training?
0: Yeah. So for over 21 years, I've been training people for free. Um, And I know business and personal life are interrelated. So everything from sales training to marketing, branding, podcasts, speaking, I also train, you know, even mommy issue training I've done. I've done your ultimate ego training. Uh, I did crumbs training. Stop asking for crumbs. So all of it's free. And uh, it's all also now um, the Monday edition of uh, my top podcast called The Playbook. So you can reach the replays there if you miss it. But over 50,000 people are registered every week. Uh, for our trainings. And it's been just a godsend over 21 years and has grown uh, to be a notable way of empowering others, to empower others, to make money, help people, and have fun. Wow, oh, that's
1: incredible. Uh, and also, your story, I just wanted to go into, your story resonates with me. I'm also Jewish, and, and my mom raised me alone. She was divorced as well. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you were brought up? about your upbringing. I know you are in a single parent home like myself, actually. And I I won't. Sure. I grew up in Akron, Ohio. Uh,
0: My dad left when I was five. And so we had six kids, five boys and a girl. And my mom worked two jobs just so we could eat. She worked as a second grade teacher and then packed my dinner in a paper bag and taught us all in the Country Squire Station Wagon and studied uh, in order to adhere to a few of her philosophies, which you may be familiar with with your single jewish mom one doctor lawyer or failure fetus wasn't fully developed till after graduate school uh she led us through two different rules we had to wake up at 5 a.m and she was a black belt in the martial art the third degree black belt of the martial art of jewish guilt and so (laughs) i grew up uh education was my way out Uh, the only difference between me and my siblings who all went to the ivy leagues all graduated summa cum laude was that uh they were great academics, and I was a great entrepreneur. I wanted to be rich. I wanted to buy my mom a house and a car. Not that I wasn't happy, but I knew that the only way I would have complete happiness, uh, because the only time we weren't completely happy was from financial distress. So I I could relieve that by buying a house and a car, being able to handle when things broke down, uh, I could really establish and buy happiness. And so that became my motto. That became my mission. And I put everything I could towards that mission. That's
1: great. Where if you don't mind me asking, were you ever in touch with your dad or, or I was. Really... I,
0: I was, especially when I was young. He was my hero. He had married a girl closer to my age than his. Uh, but when I was ten He went from hero to zero. See, I didn't know that he he was a deadbeat dad, that he wasn't paying child support in the 70s, uh, but he forgot my birthday when I was 10 and then lied to me and said he didn't believe in birthdays, that he didn't forget my birthday, but he didn't believe in birthdays, and that broke my heart because he had celebrated his wife's, his, my sibling's birthday. And so I always thought of my dad as a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, an overseller, and a back-end seller. And it wasn't until I was 30 years old that he resurfaced and uh, you know, tried to save me from my own self, the self that was a genetic inheritance of his. Uh, but in the end, I spent the last 40 years of my life, uh, I'm sorry, the last 40 years of his life, um, having a relationship with him. Oh, that that sounds very
1: familiar. Um, so, <laughs> but it, your your story is incredible. You know, you were you were successful, and then you 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 mentioned you lost everything. Yep. And then, how did you find power from within that empowered yourself to even further to become successful again, even more successful than you were when you first started. Well, thanks to my dad when I was 30, you
0: know, telling me and reminding me uh, that money doesn't buy happiness. And then my friend Rob giving me no as an answer when I invited him to the master's. But moreover, two years before I lost everything, uh, my uh, wife threatened to leave me, told me that I better take stock in who I was and what I wanted to become. And uh, by threatening to leave me and raising uh, my awareness to the fact that I had grown up in a world of not enough, uh, where I was a victim, where everything happened to me, to moving to, as I was a millionaire nine months out of law school and a multi-millionaire, to this world of just enough, where I was buying things to be happy, buying things I didn't need to be happy, buying different things to be happy. But even more importantly, I was buying things I didn't need to impress people I didn't even like. And so once I realized uh, that I was living in this world of just enough, um, I started living and taking stock of who I was and what I wanted to become. And two years after that, I was well prepared to lose everything over a hundred million dollars because I was living by my values with daily practices. Now life wasn't perfect. It's not easy to go from 33 homes, a golf course, a ski mountain to a rented house with rented furniture and one car with three girls under eight and one uh, wife who's pregnant with my son. Uh, But I had a guidepost. I had clarity, balance, and focus, which created confidence uh, because I'd gone from a world of only one currency. That currency was money, an object of energy that I put into the flow to get what I want to a different currency, a currency of faith, knowing that the omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing being cared the same way about me that I cared about my wife and my children. And with that faith, I was able not to feel punished but to propel myself to a better place, a better position, or put myself into a situation where everything would be even better.
1: Do you feel it's, it's mindset as well? Do you think that's a big component of it? So there's three components of it. One, absolutely
0: mindset, right? We give meaning to everything you see. You can't find outside of yourself what you can't see inside of yourself. But it also is your heart set, the understanding that not only do I have control of my mindset, but I have control of the way I feel. And logic can't change the way I feel. Only the conscious continuum can change the way I feel. So I have control of my mindset, my heart set, and what I think, say, do and believe, according to my quantum potential. That quantum potential, which this show is about, needs to be discovered through understanding the personality traits, characteristics, obsessions, and addictions that we have, an energetic as well as a genetic inheritance that has determined what our potentials are according to the objectives or milestones that we're looking at within the context of how we enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit of our potential. Do we have the desire that we must be what we can be? And aggregating all of this into an accelerated pace to expand, grow, and learn, allowing us to plateau every day, not live our lives as a tube, food in, food out, food in, food out, but to plateau and grow, to expand and accelerate, to learn and find the light, the love, and the lessons through four things. Gratitude, giving us perspective. Empathy, forgiving ourselves for expanding, growing, and learning. Accountability, giving us to control to know what we did to attract what we have into our lives. And asking ourselves, what do we learn from it? And then finally, understanding the difference between motivation and inspiration. Motivation, getting us up, getting us back up, getting us started, and inspiration, clearing the interference between us and what we already are—happy, healthy, wealthy, worthy. We don't have to go get happy, healthy, wealthy, worthy. We already are. We just have to figure out what we're doing to interfere with it.
1: Yeah, that's great. I also love your tagline too that you that you mentioned: make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. That's great. A lot of people don't have a lot of fun and And they struggle to make money, and you know that's something I inspire to do is to touch people's lives, but you can't live abundantly or or I should say, if you don't live abundantly, how can you abundantly help others?
0: Yeah, you know, you probably had a mom like mine that taught you the more you give, the more you receive. And what I think my mom forgot to teach me is you can't give what you don't have. And in order to live in that world of more than enough, more than enough of everything for everyone, in order to live, at least even for moments in limitlessness and infinity, you have to receive. And a lot of times, especially in our culture, people feel guilty receiving. They don't understand that true radical humility lies within receiving, not giving, that everybody loves to give. It's much more difficult to receive. And you can't give what you don't have, including gratitude, forgiveness, and accountability. I don't ever give someone my forgiveness because they deserve it. I do it because I deserve it. And I want forgiveness so I can give it to others. And when we realize that this is the way that the universe works, is that if I've received this, and then i've appreciated it meaning i add value to it it grows and then the only way we can acquire the knowledge of what we have the only way we can acknowledge acknowledge what we have is to give it away and when we give it away we now have a bigger void to fill and now when we ask it fills itself we now appreciate it and it grows even more now we acknowledge it by giving it away and this process keeps on growing and learning and loving and finding the particles of light to overcome the particles of darkness. And it all aggregates itself and accelerates itself into a much bigger, grander, abundant attitude that lives in the light of limitlessness, infinity, that you can live in the world of more than enough, not just enough where you're buying things you don't need to impress people you don't like, or even worse, the world of not enough where everything happens to you as a victim, but this abundant world when you receive and appreciate what you have, not taking for granted what other people are wishing for, not taking for granted what you're wishing for, but appreciate through gratitude, forgiveness, accountability,
1: and inspiration what you have, giving it away and growing. I do want to mention, too, uh, Game Time Decision Making. It's your latest book. And I want to announce, too, that I'm giving away, there's going to be three lucky listeners that I'm going to give David Meltzer's book. Uh, and you could just email me here, and I'll, I'll be you know giving those away. Uh, and I might get other requests, so I might get more books. So uh, can you tell us about this proven playbook for positioning yourself for success?
0: Yeah. So in order to position yourself for success, one, you have to take stock in who you are and know your values. For me, it's gratitude, which gives me perspective. It's forgiveness that gives me peace. It's accountability that gives me control and it's effective communication that lives me in a light of inspiration. But I have five daily practices, which, by the way, I'll be happy to send to anyone. David at dmelzer.com. I'll send these five daily practices. But number one, you need to know your what. If you know your what, personally, experientially, giving and receiving wise, then you will know your who. Who can I help with my what and who can help me? And once you know your what and your who, we can figure out the how. With the activity we have planned, the activity we don't have planned, with the activity of sleep, with the activity we get paid for, with the activity we don't get paid for, we can create through lenses of productivity, providing value, lenses of Uh, accessibility, meaning how are we accessing what we want and how accessible are we to others? And the lens of gratitude, of course, the superpower of finding the light, the love and the lessons in everything we do. When we are looking at what we want, who can help us and who we can help, the how comes from those lenses, that create efficiency, effectiveness, and statistical success. And once we know our what, our who, and our how, we now can determine the now. And if you do it now, you'll save twice as much time than trying to procrastinate or think about it. You'll be more efficient, effective, and statistically successful. 100% of the things you do now get done. The difference between passionate, purposeful, and profitable people is they get stuff done. So once you know your what, your who, and your how, you have the ability of prioritizing by what's most important Important to you, utilizing urgency as a subset. So once you know what's most important, you can make those game time decisions aligned with who you are and who you can help and how you're going to get it done most efficiently, effectively with statistical success. Know your what, your who, your how, and your now, and you'll be able to apply your why. You won't be looking for your why. You won't be searching for what other people want for you, what you don't want or what's missing. You'll be able to apply your why in abundant capacity to be passionate and purposeful and profitable to make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun.
1: That's great. And I know, too, um, you mentioned there's a new uh, show that's coming up uh, on Amazon. I'd love to hear more about that as well.
0: Yeah, we're so blessed. I have three different shows. I'm the executive producer of season seven of Elevator Pitch. I have my own shows, Two Minute Drill, uh, which we'll be filming season three in November. And we're taking applicants to win $50,000 of cash and prizes. It's on Bloomberg TV and on Amazon Prime Video. And the, the new is show, not a nudist show, that's already on TV. That's the naked show. But mine's the newest show on TV. <laughs> it's the first late night entrepreneur show called Office, Office Hours with everyone from Cameron Diaz, to Saad Guru, to Jim Quick, to Tillman Fertita to Rob Dyrdek, to Ja Rule. It doesn't matter. We got the billionaires, the millionaires, the entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes, entertainers, and all talking about business on Bloomberg and Amazon Prime Video. It starts on Bloomberg TV this Friday. Come join me every week to get the greatest and latest with billionaires, millionaires, and entrepreneurs on Office Hours.
1: That's great. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Is there anything, uh, because I know we're we're running out of time, but is there anything that you want to leave our listeners? Yeah. You know,
0: if you're feeling anxious, depressed, frustrated, worried, angry, guilty, resentful, uh, you need to apply your why to your life. And the best way is to remind yourself that logic is not going to change the way you feel. But I will tell you what will. I'm telling you right now to be kind. To your future self, do good deeds by doing good deeds, by elevating your awareness and your vibration or frequency, by being more aware of the goodness that surrounds you, by finding the light, the love, and the lessons. Remember, the law of gravity says you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're healthy, happy, wealthy, and worthy utilize the law of Goya, get off your ass and make it happen. And I promise you the law of attraction and allowance will allow that to happen, that you will live not in the world of not enough and you are not a victim, not a world in just enough, buying things you don't need to impress people you don't like, but the world of more than enough, an abundant limitlessness infinity in which there's enough of everything for everyone. And you can have all of this simply by being kind to your future self, being kind in general and keep on doing good deeds. Share my content, get the values, get the books, get the, the five daily practices, david at com. I am happy to send them to you. I appreciate the time here for everyone to discover their potential. Enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit of that potential. Join
1: me, david at com. Great. Thank you so much, David. I truly appreciate it and, and blessed that you're here. Thank you, Dan.
0: I appreciate your time and we look forward to doing this again. Take care.
1: Looking forward to it as well. Thank you.
0: Take care. God bless okay. your mom too.
1: Oh, thank you. This show is brought to you by Mansions and Manners. They are the leading real estate firm in Jamestown, Rhode Island. There's no one quite like Mansions and Manners. They are very supportive. They are like family and they help you throughout the process. You can reach them directly at four oh one four two three seven thousand. That's four oh one four two three seven thousand, or email them at info at mansionsandmanners.com. dot com. Now's a perfect time to find your dream home. Mention that you heard them at Discover Your Potential. Hi, welcome to Discover Your Potential. I'm your host, Dan Gilman. And I'm dedicating the show to breast cancer awareness. My mother had a show for years, and and for years ago, that she dedicated uh, to breast cancer awareness. And I wanted to follow in her footsteps and do the same. We have an extraordinary guest today, Katrina Macchio. Katrina is a multiple award-winning actress, film director, and breast cancer survivor. She also won for her work behind the camera as Best Director and Critics' Choice Award. She's amazing, and I'd love to introduce you to her right now. I'm going to bring her right up. Hello. Hi. Oh, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you I,
2: for having me. I,
1: I I so so much, and and breast cancer uh, is is such um, a difficult topic for me because um, both my my grandmother had breast cancer, my wife had cancer, but it's it's been a you know, a very, uh, long journey. So I would love to hear more about it and I'm sure people would love to hear your story and, and, and become aware of, of the unfortunate process. And.
2: Yeah. Um, well, mine is a little different because there was no breast cancer in my family at all. Um, so, Honestly, I didn't even know what chemo or radiation, what the procedure of all of that was. I had no idea. So when they told me um, it was a Sunday morning, I was ready to go down to the beach and have a great time. And when you get a call from a doctor on a Sunday morning, things couldn't be that good. So, um, yeah, cause I had had a biopsy and I was waiting for the results and he told me the bad news was, is that I did have breast cancer, but the good news was that they just came out with, um, the a new medication that if I did everything that they told me to do, I would increase my chances of it not coming back by about 10% percent So uh, it went from like 85% to like 95 percent, something like that, um, mm. 95, 96. Um, so I said, okay, I'll take <laughs> I'll take um, th- that percentage. That sounds good to me. Um, and he said, you can't be stressed. Uh, exercise definitely helps with the chemo. And he proceeded to tell me that I would have six months of chemo, two months of this uh, chemo that was called the Red Devil. Um, I, I know that there's a proper name for it, but that's what they called it because it was red. And um, and they came in wearing a hazmat suit. <laughs> I'm like, oh the nurses came in wearing a hazmat suit and I was like wait a minute you're wearing that and you're putting it in my vein okay great <sighs> that's odd so um yeah so then uh that was 2 months of that and then I had to give myself an injection of um Elasta, which was another interesting thing and I've heard other women that have had to do this too because it builds your immune system back up after chemo. And they're like, Oh, you just have to give yourself a needle in the stomach. Um, you know. Um oh it, it's not that bad. I'm like, a needle in my stomach.
1: I never oh my gave gosh.
2: myself a needle. Now I'm giving myself a, how am I gonna possibly do that? Yeah. So um I got through that, but um and then Do you he have said, to do well, that daily? Yeah, it, with the, he said within the next couple of hours after the the injection. You might feel like you're having a heart attack, but really you're not. Oh
1: my gosh.
2: (laughs) What? (laughs) What? Um, You told me I shouldn't be stressed. what are you saying to me? Yeah. So, yeah. So I was like on the bed, just watching TV with my dogs. And, um, I fr- kind of forgot what he had said. And all of a sudden I, I felt like I did a new in Pulp Fiction and went, <gasps> Oh my God. You know, and I felt like, you know, a, a, an elephant just sat on my chest. It was, um, right in oh. my sternum. And I'm like, I'm not having a heart attack. I'm not having a heart attack. And then it kind of went away. Um, and then he said, well, you know, also, since you live alone, um, you want to. Now, this is something that I've told a lot of women that are about to have chemo. And you know that you're going to lose your hair. Mm-hmm. Um, first, I was told, absolutely don't do the, the ice um, hat. Whatever they call that, because mm-hmm. the Sloan is extremely against that for a few reasons. One, the chemo needs to escape your head, so um, it can't do that if it's frozen, so there's a higher chance that you could have you could get brain cancer. Oh my god, like okay, so what do I do? Um, he said right before the second treatment of chemo, you should go to your hairdresser and have him shave your hair. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, this all happened like so uh, fast. Like yeah. my, I was diagnosed August 23rd. Then by September 6th, I started my chemo and a week later I had no hair, you know, and um and then you know i had the eyebrows and the lashes until they fell out too but um yeah and then i had i went through after the after six months of chemo i had 3 months of radiation oh sorry first so. i had a lump back to me before that mm-hmm. then i had uh 3 months of radiation 5 days a week which was not fun I don't know which was worse, the chemo or the, I think the radiation was a little, a little harder. Hmm. Um, But, and then I had a year, uh, about another year of infusions. And, uh, you know, I did what I had to do. You know, I just did what I had to do to survive. And they told me what to do. And, you know, they're all very happy. Right now, this is five years of uh, of hair growth. It takes a really long time to grow back, but it's back. And you know, I'm super healthy now. And you know, they tell me that I'm the poster child for this particular <laughs> medication, this type mm. of chemo. You know, and uh, I am on tamoxifen, which is the the mm. post um uh, chemo medication, but. It doesn't affect me. I'm fine with it. So I'll probably stay on it forever.
1: Oh, they're having you stay on that forever.
2: Well, it's actually it's my choice. Oh, okay. It's my choice. Um I'm ner- I'm scared. Honestly, yeah. uh right. you know, I've heard that once you go off of it this your chances are much greater that it could come back. All right. So it's a pill. Take the pill. <laughs> right. If I could take the pill and I'll have less chances of cancer coming back, I'm going to take the pill.
1: Right. You did, know. So w- when they f- when you first found out, well, how did you first find out when you when you had cancer? Like, did did you? Um,
2: oh, I found it
1: myself. You found it.
2: I found it. I was just like lying in bed, and I don't know. I just was like. What is that? <laughs> that that doesn't seem right, mm-hmm. and um, and then I was like, oh, and what's that? <laughs> so there was two actually, mm-hmm. and I went to the gynecologist, and she kind of poo pooed it, mm-hmm. which um, she then got fired from me <laughs> because. Um, She's like, oh, it's maybe it's just hormones, you know, don't worry, get a a mammogram and, you know, I'll send you to this place that if it's anything they'll do, um, you know, an ultrasound and a biopsy all in the same place. So I listened to her and I went to this place and um, and it wasn't a good experience for me. So I don't want to go through the gory details, but I ended up going to Sloan. Um, I I just thought, okay, who do I know that had breast cancer? Because I know nothing about it. Um, who do I go? Uh, who do I? So I asked a friend of mine, and she's like, "I'm going to hook you up with um, this doctor that I know at Sloan, and that's where you go." The end. <laughs> I said hmm. okay. So I did and I'll tell you they were my angels. I think you have to be a particular type of person to work in that hospital um mm. because they were they are all one nicer than the other. It's like sugar. <laughs> it's mm. like you know, it's like you walk into a sugar factory. It's like they're all so 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 nice. Um no attitudes. It's, it's just they were just so kind to me, hmm. and um, you know they know what you're going through, you know. Um, so,
1: so you're you're in complete remission now.
2: Well, oh, compl- Actually, I was I ha- was cancer free after the first month of chemo. They just disappeared, um, but oh. the rest of the treatments was mm-hmm. to prevent it from coming back
1: back right yeah so and not to go into um details of course but was yours considered like stage one or stage two or
2: i was between one and two
1: one and two okay so they caught it early enough
2: one doctor said two i was like no the other doctor said between one and two i like what he said better thank you
1: (laughs) yes Well thank God I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you're here with us and it it's grew
2: amazing. so fast. I mean it was it's like it yeah. was unbelievable. You know, um I was supposed to get a mammogram in April mm-hmm. and I was going through a divorce and um my husband didn't pay for my health insurance, so I was you know, I, I waited a couple of extra months Oh gosh, and oh. and there it was very strange um but yeah um hmm. so ladies and men i know i know of a man actually it was my father's uh tenant he had stage four he found out he had stage four breast cancer
1: oh my gosh
2: yeah and he passed away oh because he didn't uh take it seriously Right, and um so men get it too. It's very rare, but men do get it. So mm. men and women, women, check your boobies mm. <laughs> um, in the shower, whatever. Just you know, make sure you check because and and don't say, "Oh, I don't I don't want to go for a mammogram because I'm afraid of what they find." Well, that's silly, right? Because if they, if they, if you do have something, it's just going to keep growing until it's too late. So you can't think that way. And I know a lot of people that do just because they're like, though I'd be in denial. But no, you can't do that because if there is something, it's going to grow, you know, I don't know how, how I didn't, feel this at the beginning you know i don't know it's just like all of a sudden and they told me my type of uh, breast cancer i could go from nothing to like you know something that big within days so if you feel something say something
1: (laughs) so um thank you um so what what would you give as far as um guidance uh, for women and men, too, but for guidance for women, uh, obviously, make sure you do mammograms, but I'm not sure do they do mammograms for they don't do mammograms for men, they do no, but men could
2: right. still feel, you know, yes, I mean, there's less to feel women there's a whole right. lot of
1: <laughs> right. you know,
2: breast there for men, it's just kind of just going over. Right. You know, it would be a lot easier, I would think, to find in a man, man's breast cuz it's flatter. Right. Right.
1: Yeah, so that would be like an MRI or something. Uh, yeah, like I that.
2: mean, but I have seen lately I've seen men in um in the breast center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, what what tips or points or pointers can you give to women to you know, make sure that they're they're healthy, they check themselves? Uh, and you know, what can they learn from you on that?
2: Well, um, make sure that you have your annual mammograms take into consideration. Um, I mean, I was, you know, it was strange for me to have gotten Not really. I mean, my doctor said one in eight women will have breast cancer, which is That's crazy.
1: To yeah, think that's
2: pretty at, high, but um, you know, who wants to be one of those eight? Nobody, but if you do and you find it quickly enough, you know, there's a good chance that um, you'll make it, and um, you know, it's not easy, it's definitely not easy. Um, but look, actually, my mother just had a small breast cancer. She's 85 years old and she went for a mammogram, which they have, they even have been saying in you know, after 80, you don't have to have mammograms anymore, which really? I think is weird. Yeah. Like why not? <laughs> you know, we have longevity in my family. So uh, my grandmothers lived till way into their nineties and I'm planning on going to at least 120. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so my mother's like, well, I'm, um, you know, 85. I said, you go for your mammogram. And she did. And they found a, a tiny teeny weenie. It's like the size of a, like chia seed or something. But hmm. this, since they found it, they had to take it out. And, um, you know, she was nervous, but, but, but whatever, but they, they took it out and then they said, there's nothing, there's n- she doesn't need anything after that. Cause it was so tiny. Oh, good. So if anything, you know, if, if you, at that point it's much better to have it like that than to go through the whole rigmarole. But um oh. sometimes it happens. I think, honestly, I think um, it wasn't genetic for me. I think it was um, a product of my environment. Mm. I grew up in Staten Island um, in the town where there was the largest dump, largest landfill in the world mm. <laughs> on this teeny weeny little island of Staten. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> And um, the landfill was, I mean, it's, it's an island that's only 14 miles long, seven miles wide. And there was the largest landfill on it. Can you imagine all the people that have gotten cancers on that island? Yeah. Um, so I grew up there. I also found out that eight women mm-hmm. on my little tiny street that I grew up on all had breast cancer. Wow. Eight, eight women and there was only about 20 houses on the whole street. Hmm. Um and then I lived in Soho during
1: 9/11. Oh wow.
2: I was just right on the borderline uh, by Canal Street.
1: So, so were were you uh, where were you when 9/11 occurred? Not that we're home. Oh, you were home. Yeah. So did you actually see the, I the went towers?
2: Out. I went out. Yeah. I I looked and saw the second one come down. Oh
1: my and, gosh. of course,
2: you want to just go. I mean, your first instinct is to go help Yes. people. And then this, then you saw all this smoke and all this white, everything, yeah. you know. And I'm like, um, I don't think I could go there. Yeah. You know. Um,
1: what a, what a horrific, horrific Yeah, it was horrific. It was, the the only um, there was no positive, but the only positive really was that th- that was the first time I actually saw even in New York people come together.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: That that was the one of the extraordinary things that I've done.
2: Yeah, um, a friend of mine, uh, Nino Vendome, he had a restaurant right on Canal Street in Varick. Oh, okay. And he had closed the restaurant and just fed all of the the firemen, sanitation workers, um, police officers, and um, it was mainly the you know the firemen and the and the sanitation workers. And um, I went there and I helped as much as I could. Um, feeding, you know, and and so many restaurants and um, food distributors and whatever um, donated Mm. tons and it went on for six months and uh, it was amazing and then he had a, you know, he ended up completely closing it. Mm. Um, But, and then he had these big boards that he put out um, uh, on the outside of the restaurant and I had board duty for a while <laughs> and people would walk by and I'd ask them to write down, you know, what their feelings were. Mm-hmm. You know, we wanted to like capture the, the moment of what was, because people were walking around kind of like zombies, Great. you know, the first couple yeah. of weeks because it was so horrific yeah especially right there Mm -hmm. that it was and the streets were so quiet i don't know if anybody remembers it
1: was a ghost town
2: it was like a ghost town and for weeks yeah and people were just walking around like um quiet and and if you know you saw anybody like you bumped into oh my god i'm so sorry you know like it was that kind of thing you know it was um everybody's heart was so open
1: but i'd i'd love to chat about about you and, okay. and your amazing career and all the work that you're doing and touching people's lives and and also i know if you're you're award winning multiple award winning <laughs> you're doing so many amazing things so yes. we're where should we begin? Well, <laughs> I, know, I know you were on Sopranos as well. And I'd love to Yeah, I had a that,
2: small, I had a, um, well, I was the, the Bada Bing bartender. <laughs> I, <laughs> is where I um, met my, um, I actually dated James Gandolfini for over a year. So I met him there. I met him at the bar.
1: <laughs> oh, nice.
2: <laughs> at the Bada Bing. Um, and yeah, we just kept running into each other. and. Um, so yeah, that was nice. And uh, I was with him for about a year. He was very supportive of my art career, my acting career. He was the most wonderful, caring, um, generous person really. Um, and so I'm stayed friends with a lot of the guys from the show. In fact, after cancer, I, well, during, during my treatment, I said, okay, I'm going to survive this. So mm-hmm. how do I now give back? Mm-hmm. I kept thinking I have to give back. I have to give back. And it was, um, you know, I had this thing. I would, I would say people are giving me the face. I'm like, I wish people wouldn't give me the face. And people are like, what are you talking about? It's like this. How are you doing? How mm-hmm. you doing? You Okay you okay? Mm. How you doing? I'm like, I don't ever want to see that. Oh face. yeah. Please don't do that to me ever. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm okay. You know? So I said, I don't ever want anybody ever to look at and feel sorry for me again. Yeah. So for all the pain and sorrow that they felt for me, I now wanted to give back. So I wrote a comedy so that they would laugh instead of feeling sorry for me. And I asked all of my friends from The Sopranos, from uh, comedians. I, I got Vinnie Pastori, I got Jackie Martling, Jackie oh, the wow. Joke Man. I got uh, I, Angela Pietro Pinto, who was in Goodfellas. I got um, Lou Martini Jr. He's um, in uh, the, um, oh, God, what's the name of that? I can't remember the name of the show now. Anyway, he's a great actor. And, um, so I had a lot of really talented people and they all, as soon as I asked, they said, yes, that they would do it with uh, without even reading the script. So, um, it was a little story. It was a short and it was kind of, um, based on a true story. It's a a superstition that if you want to sell your house, you take a small statue of St. Joseph and you bury it in your backyard facing the house and you sell your house really fast (laughs) if you want to sell your home. So this happened right before I got married. We did that and um, we sold the house within three days and there was a bidding war. Wow. And then... When I divorced him, I did that, and <laughs> we sold the house in three days. So, um, yeah, it was um, based on a true story. And then the people that lived across the street from us, there was they they had one of those um, plastic um, molded. Uh, uh, nativity sets Mm -hmm. but it was just the all just the saint joseph just the father right saint joseph out in the um right like leaning on the garage from the day that we moved in until the day we left this saint joseph plastic thing was leaning on the garage Mm -hmm. and i i It drove me crazy. It just made me nuts. And um, so I said, what if, you know, if it works for a three-inch statue, what would (laughs) happen if you buried a three-foot one? (laughs) (laughs) So you know like all hell broke loose and everybody wants to buy the house and then there's you know they're fighting over it and and craziness happens and um and it became a a cute little comedy and we won a ton of awards for That's it amazing. like over 20 awards and um yeah I won for best director and, and for the script. And it was just for my first script, it was pretty crazy. And I didn't realize that I could write Mm. until I just started typing away. And, um, and now I've been writing a lot. That's great. Um, I have a bunch of scripts in the works right now and um, they're being read by some investors and it looks, it's looking pretty good.
1: Oh, wow. That's great. I can't yeah. wait to see them. Can't wait. Yeah. To them yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. And, and I and- just
2: came back from Florida two days ago. I worked on a film called the mob King. Oh <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit stereotype. <laughs> 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 just a little. <laughs> and I play like this bad guy's girlfriend and, um, the whole house is being shot up. So I I wow. come out like, what's going on? So I act like a complete nut job, which um, was fun to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> <left it> out. <laughs> so um, that's turning into, first he's shooting, I think he still has a couple of, of weeks left on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be a movie. And then it's, going to turn into a series.
1: You also mentioned you have a magazine, you have a digital magazine. I'd love to share that with with the audience Um, as well.
2: I have a magazine called Indie Film Online. And it is, um, I I started it during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and I've gotten some really cool people on the cover right now. Armando Sante is on the cover and I feel very blessed to have had him. Mm. And, um, I went to his house and did an interview. And so I have to go back and do some pickups from that. And then it'll be, it's an online magazine, so it's completely digital. So you could click and see the videos and, um, the, the, all the links are hot. So you could click on the magazine and find anything. It's IndieFilmOnline.com. Indie Film Cafe, um, because I interview my filmmakers.
1: Oh, what's Indie Film Cafe? It's,
2: I, it's my YouTube channel, and oh. I interview my filmmakers. Oh, wow. And all the good. people that win, from because I have three film festivals. Did you know that? No, I run that... three film festivals.
1: Wow, that's great. Which film festivals do you run?
2: One is The Cutting Room in New York. It's the Cutting Room International Short Film Festival. I have one that's called v- the Venus Italian International Film Festival. And this year, I well, about a, m- a little over a month ago, I came back from Italy. <clears throat> it was my second year as director there. But it was my first year actually going there because last year, obviously, I couldn't go. Mm. So it was my first year there as director, and it was amazing. It's on this little island. Only 10,000 people live on the whole island, and it's right near Capri. So it's absolutely beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful island. And they asked me to be the director of the international part of the festival. Uh Um, They've had the festival for, I think this was their ninth ninth year. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, the director, the main director, passed away. Mm -hmm. So the father and whoever else was working at the festival kind of tried to take over, but they really didn't have... um, I guess the skill of knowing what it is to run actually be a director and run the festival. So they brought me on to, um, to help um, with the system of, uh, of running the festival because they came to my festival in the city, the cutting Mm -hmm. room festival and they saw hundreds of people there and they all were friends and the camaraderie between everyone and everyone was cheering each other on and it's very different in Italy it's not like that at all Mm. they're a lot more reserved and usually it's just the filmmakers that come they usually don't bring a whole lot of people to the festival and it's it, it was um it was it was nice. It's just, I wish it was a little more upbeat, (laughs) you know, and that's what I'm going to try to bring it um, to them. Uh, You know, this year was, I had to kind of see what was going on. And then next year, and it's crazy because next year um, they, this little Island was voted the capital of the cultural society of all of Italy. Oh. This little town of Proshida, hmm. so it's going to be a very, very important um, festival for for the uh, for the island because oh, it's very important um time for them because it's you know, they won this from all of Italy. Oh. so it's um, th- this has to be you know perfection. It has to be run perfectly. And um, that's how I feel like I run my festivals <laughs> and um, I have, you know, perfect projection and sound and, you know, we color correct everything even um, uh, before uh, anybody comes in. Yeah, so great. we spend like days just doing that. And um, so I'm planning on, on doing that. And being being there for uh, for that, and when, when um, does that take place? That'll be next September. It was September. just yeah, this was uh, September twenty third. What was the dates? Sorry, the twenty second to the twenty fifth was it was just last month. I was a makeup artist for 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 for, for celebrities. Oh, really? Film and television for many years, mm. and. I was the one that they would see. Oh, that would be a really amazing show. I'm sorry?
1: (laughs) That would be an amazing show to watch behind the scenes and have a discussion while somebody's doing their makeup.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, well, you know, they would say things to me. And it's kind of like, you know, what you say to your hairdresser. And, Mm -hmm. and, (laughs) you know, but I was the one that they would see. Right before they went on camera. right. So I had to be kind of like the still, you know, I had to just, you know, keep them calm and not too much chatter. And it was just, you're going to be great. Oh, my God, you look so perfect. You look beautiful, blah, 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 whatever. And then they would talk to me. And I ended up staying friends with so many of the celebrities. Yeah. And so, you know, by doing makeup for so many years, I wasn't only doing makeup and then going in the back and knitting,
1: right. you know,
2: like a lot. I, no, I was always next to the director and asking, you know, the grips. What's that for? What's that? What's that yes. light called? What's this? Shamira? And what's that? Yes. <laughs> what kind of camera are you using? Absolutely. You know? And so I built up all this knowledge. I yeah. didn't know that I was going to be making movies.
1: That's incredible.
2: So um, I was just curious of everything. And then when the time came and I said, I'm going to make a movie, I already had so much knowledge behind me. Yes. I said, you know what? I could do this. And, And it ended up working out really, really well. In fact, I also wrote the feature. Oh, wow. to to the sh- to the short the
1: oh, okay. the short's
2: called Saint Joseph mm-hmm. and the um the feature is called Saint Joseph Do your thing <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and it it has to do with a lot of different cultures and uh getting together and it's a really good feel good film, yeah that's great so I'm hoping to sell that soon.
1: Yeah, that would be wonderful. So if wonderful.
2: there's anybody out there, any investors that are looking <laughs> for comedy to invest in, just saying.
1: <laughs> I, actually, this is a pause, but um, who, to what type of investor? Because I don't know if you know Steven Feinberg. You no. Know Steven. He's, no. In, he's in Rhode Island. Yeah. But he's part of the Rhode Island film. He actually uh, brought in, uh, I guess they're doing Hocus Pocus right now, Hocus Pocus 2 in Rhode Island with Bette Midler. Oh but I could certainly well Melissa knows Steven but I could certainly connect you I bet there's there's so many Please. people out there that um invest in film that I might Oh my know. god really Yeah so <laughs> I could that would be really interesting I'll I'll I actually am, I'm interviewing Steven Feinberg next week so maybe I'll bring it up so cuz I
2: have, also I, have um I'm I have a films I have uh, another film that I wrote, believe it or not, about Sonny Liston, the boxer. Oh. And, you know, I lost my father last oh. year.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. So,
2: um, the only, thank you. It was really awful. Did, was it, um, if and you I'm don't mind me asking, was, it, you know? was it COVID
1: related? Or? Um,
2: you know, I don't, honestly, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was a month before covid started and so he but he you know he had a bad heart and he he fell and i i don't know i honestly it could have been like the ultimate thing but we don't know because it was he passed in january oh wow in 2020 so nobody really knew you know he was on a ventilator and he fell so why was he on a ventilator why did his breathing all right change. I and, you know, there's a, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. The only thing that my father really ever wanted to watch on TV was mm-hmm. boxing. So I feel like, well, somebody had told me about the story of Sonny Liston. Mm-hmm. And I, I was so... Like I'm like he was the one on the ground, you know, and he's the one that fought Muhammad Ali, and you know, and that very famous, of uh, a picture of Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston on the ground, and who is that guy, you know? And mm-hmm. and I started listening to a few people talking about him, mm-hmm. and he had the worst life growing up, my God. Um, and he had like twenty something brothers and sisters. He grew up on a plantation and, you know, in a dirt shack. And mm-hmm. and then they just went on and on and on and on. And they would told me the whole story about him and I started researching him. Mm-hmm. I didn't know why I was researching him at the time, but I just felt like I had to. Yeah. And and then I ended up writing this whole movie, a feature, uh, because I I interviewed um, people that knew him. I interviewed some of the boys from back in the day, you know, huh. <laughs> um, that knew him. I interviewed I, I I interviewed some book writers. I read all the books about him. I I did I just like went deep into researching his life. Sure. And I ended up writing this, um, this, this film. And um, one of the investors put like a $23 million budget on it. Wow. And I was like, I think we could do it for 14. And Armando Sante wants, he said he would want to for sure be in that. Mm. And um, I also have a, a, another love story that wow. I'm writing about Proshida and uh, and and that I'm in the middle of writing that and Armand wants to be in that one too so wow, that's
1: great.
2: <laughs> I'm a big Armand Asante fan
1: yes I can see
2: yeah he's I think he's amazing he's yeah. such a you know he's he he takes his works um, so seriously and with passion and when you see this interview, that uh, I have uh, with him, it it it's just amazing how how uh, his craft is so important to him. He, you know, this is all he's done all his life.
1: Sure, absolutely, yeah. He yeah. lives he lives his work. Yes, that that's wonderful. Can uh, and I know we're running out of time, but could okay. we t- talk a little bit about your artwork? I sure. hear it's amazing, and I hope you don't mind if I show some artwork. Oh, please.
2: My website is MichioArt, M-I-C-C-I-O-A-R-T dot com. And I went to school for art. And um, so
1: it's I'm sorry, just so that our audience can can can, you know, find you. It's M-I-C-C-I-O. My last
2: name, M-I-C-C-I-O and then A-R-T.
1: Oh, dot com. Perfect.
2: MichioArt.com. And, um, I, I started, uh, painting at a very young age and I always loved doing portraits. And, um, so I, I've been friends with Steve Walter from the cutting room, which is a music venue in Manhattan. And, uh, he, his idea when he first opened the club was to have a revolving show of different artists. Whether mm. they be um, photographers, different types of painters, sculptors, whatever. He wanted different art uh, up on the walls every month, <laughs> oh. which sounds a little crazy right now because it would have been a whole lot of work to do that. But <laughs> um, uh, so he said to me, put up, uh, you know, do put up a show. You, you're a painter. Do something yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, what do I paint? You know, and then it came to me musicians <laughs> paint musicians it's a music venue oh wow so i did that and i put up uh, a show i did about 25 paintings of all these different musicians and um chris noth uh who is mr big from sex in the city he was on law and order and, sure. uh, all of these shows um the good wife it, he's now he's on another uh i think I'm not really sure the name of the show now, but he's in another show. And uh, he he saw all my paintings up and he was like, who did this? And he's one of the partners there. And I said I did it. <laughs> uh-huh. in mine. He goes, "This stuff is staying up until we close the doors. If you sell anything, then you replace it." I'm like, "Okay, Mr. Big." Just <laughs> it, what Mr. Big says, I guess, goes. <laughs> uh-huh. You know. So it's been up there since
1: 2001.
2: Wow. And uh, they moved. They moved from one location to the other. And then um, I moved the paintings along with it. And uh, I have a lot of the reproductions there now. And whenever a major musician comes in, Mm -hmm. they sign the painting, either right across the front or in the back. And, you know, I've had um, Ronnie Wood, Sign my painting. I've had uh, um, Billy Joel. Um, oh, neat! Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of um, Roger Daltrey. He oh, was wow. amazing. Oh, he was such a nice man. Um, yeah, it's, I, it, I've had tons of uh, artists, uh, musicians sign sign my artwork. So they're, you know, they're becoming. Um, Like all of them are starting to get filled up with signatures, so it's really kind of cool. That's great. It's really cool.
1: But if there's one thing that you could give the audience today, uh, what would it be?
2: Just do what makes you happy, no matter what. Look, you you only have one life to live. If you're stuck in a job that you hate, quit. (laughs) You know, and just try to do something that you love. And if you can't quit that job, just make time for yourself to make yourself happy. Uh, Because, you know, you have to, um, like I said, that, you know, you you never know what's going to happen. They told me that if I didn't go through my treatments, I would have been dead in a year. So I wasn't ready for that, you know. So um, I'm way too young for any of that to be in, uh, in my mind. And you just don't know what the next day is going to bring. So don't ever have any regrets of, of, um, not doing what you really love. If you want to go horseback ride and go jump out a plane with a parachute, of course, um, (laughs) just anything that you really, really want to do, just make sure you do it. So you have no regrets, um, as long as it's safe.
1: Great. Thank, <laughs> thank you so much. And it
2: makes for, other people happy too. Uh,
1: absolutely. No, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. I, I truly appreciate it.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: So this is Dan Gilman. And as my mother used to say, do something nice for yourself and make sure you do something nice for others. Thank you.
2: This is Cindy Gilman and you're listening to Discover Your Potentials. So until next time. Do something nice for yourself, but do something nice for someone else. In every
1: way, every day, I need less of myself, I need more of you.